You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. So this is episode 170 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and I'm very excited to have made it this far. Can you even imagine? It's been over three years, and I am very happy with this. I'm very thankful for all my Patreon patrons. I'm very thankful for GameMat.eu for supporting the show, and I'm thankful for all of you listening out there. I do appreciate that somebody listens to me, because my wife and kids sure don't. (laughs) That's not funny. Actually, we have a nice family. Anyway, so what are we talking about tonight? We have a letter from the Tetsrak mailbox, and it is from Walt, and he's asking about Nazis and Warhammer. So let's, we'll just get into that when we get into it. Nice heavy topic for you. No, it's not a heavy topic. Calm down. And also, I tried Army Paints for the first time ever. Army Painter Paints. And uh, what did I think of them? Did I like them? Did I hate them? Am I sitting in the emergency room waiting for them to remove one of their bottles from my rectum? Well, all of those answers are yours at the end of this show. Then we have a Want That or Want That Not with Gul Gadur, I think it's called. It's some sort of ruins from Lord of the Rings. And uh, we'll talk about that, see what we think about that. So what has the old Pimpcron been up to in this last week? Well, I got my nails done. I got my hair did. I went, had a nice mani-pedi day with the boys. Nice spa day. Um, I did go see Ghostbusters. Uh, and that was fantastic. It is a lot of fan service, but by golly, after 30 years or whatever, you know what? I'm in the mood for some fan service. It was very well executed. The storyline was not perfect, but it was very entertaining. It was one of the first movies in a long time where I left it feeling great and feeling, wow, that was really cool. And uh, the special effects were outstanding on this. So um, I would definitely go see that if I were you. And uh, my kids really liked it. I took my two oldest and my friend Josh. We all went. And uh, that was that was really fun. So what else have I been doing? I'm waiting patiently for my hopefully final copy of the Brutality Supplement to come in the mail. Because uh, they sent me a shipping notification. So I'm very excited about it. I may be holding in my hand in just probably two days the uh, the latest edition of the supplement. And then, boom, it goes on sale. So... That is the way that's going to go. Very, very excited to get this shipping off because it's been like, geez, um, uh, six, seven months in the making easily. And I've been playtesting a bunch of Brutal Space, the space combat combat game that I'm working on um, from the Brutality rules. And that's coming along really well. And what else? Uh, Hey, something was really cool this week. I tried my carriers for the first time. I have... um, So basically in Brutality, you have a power called Summon, and you can remove a hit point from the summoner, and they they spawn this little creature. And it can be whatever you want it to be, but basically um, it can run out there, and it's another activation for your party. And it doesn't give up kill points or anything like that and, and all that. So that's really neat. Well, the version of Summon in Brutal Space is... Currently, it's called multi-vector attack mode. That's actually kind of a Star Trek Easter egg that maybe none of no one will get, and it's also a really long phrase. So it'll probably be changed at some point to like, I don't know, fighters or something like that. But 
essentially it's the same thing. You buy this module that is a hangar bay, and you remove a hit point from it to summon a little shuttlecraft or a little attack fighter or squadron. And it is so, so fun. I had these two Nebula-class starships, and I used them as my carriers. And each one of them were two modules, which is a medium-sized ship. And one of the modules was a hangar bay, essentially. And unlike Brutality, when the caster dies in Brutality, the minions or the summoned all die as well. This is not the case. When the, the ship has to die, the entire ship, not the module that cast them, the entire ship has to die for the shuttles to die. So I did a whole swarm of these shuttles going out, and it really, they're so underpowered compared to the big ships, but if you're rolling pretty good, they can do some real damage, and when they avoid being damaged or destroyed, man, that is... That is really, really satisfying. You you can just picture all these little fighters zooming in and out of nacelles and shooting and hitting targets and boarding, and it's just it's really fun. So that has been a, a real hoot. And um, so I'm playtesting pretty much every day at this juncture, and uh, hopefully my friend Matt will be coming over tomorrow, and we will hopefully play a game of that, and he also wants to get a Brutality Tournament test game in and things like that, so... Um, we are definitely going to be doing that. And what else have I been up to? I feel like there's something else. Oh, I've been painting a lot of my Hedonites of Slanesh army. And it's it's one of those love-hate things that I keep finding in all the G new GW models. It's like, there's so much detail on them that I kind of hate them. And what I'm doing, because I'm just being lazy, is I'm just painting over it. Like, if it's something small and no one's going to see it from two or three feet away, screw it. Like, that strap can just be flush-colored. I don't even care. Um, now, that really makes the paint job look really bad, sound really bad on the air. I get that. But to be honest, it really isn't. Um, the, they're coming out really nicely, and I am taking quite a bit of time on them. It's just I'm picking and choosing the things that I'm highlighting, and I think it's working. So it's not like these are garbage. Um, in the last week, I've painted one of the Hedonite Slanesh leaders on foot. I've painted five of the Bliss Barb Seekers, and those were a pain in the butt because so much detail and layers and all that. But I got five of those done, and I'm almost done three of the Slanesh Gores, whatever they're called. They're like bull gores, but they're bigger. They're like fiend gores? Fiend bloods. I think they're called fiend bloods. And I'm finding uh, some stuff out about painting that is really helpful that, like, for instance, you know how, like, the claw of a Slanesh demon is a lot of times a different color, and then it bleeds into the skin tone? Well, I found some hacks for this that make it really, really nice. So I'm priming everything white, and I'm using a lot of contrasts and washes and stuff like that to make things go quicker. And what I do is I will I will wash the skin like a Reichland Flesh Shade or something, all the way up to half up the claw, like on the forearm. And then I'm washing the claws, Daruchi Violet, and I make them overlap with the skin tone. And it actually blends it very well. It gives you a more natural blend between those two colors. And being that they're both soft colors, in other words, uh, they're both washes to begin with, so there's no real pigment there, um, they are blending pretty nicely. And, uh, like, here's another hack that I did that I really liked. My, if you've seen what the, um, Bliss Barb Seekers are, they're like Seekers of Slanesh, but they're bigger and they've got almost like a fish motif to them. And, um, they've got long tails. They're very horizontal rather than vertical. And, um, they have like a fin on their back usually. What I'm doing is I'm painting 
half like paint a stripe down the middle of the the creature half you know horizontally halfway up and halfway and up all the way to the fins I'm doing Cadian flesh tone paint and I'm leaving the under half just white and then what I do is I druchi violet the whole thing except for the fins so the fins stay Cadian flesh tone and then the top half of the creature is Cadian flesh tone with a heavy druchi violet wash and then the bottom is just a druchi violet wash over white and what it ends up doing is giving you this layered effect that looks really neat, but it's just super, super easy to do. And uh, my whole goal now as a hobbyist is just cutting corners. Cut, Just just cut, man. I don't want any squares. They're all going to be circles. I'm just cutting so many corners, it's not even funny. But I think I have improved as a painter by trying to make very quick and easy paint schemes. I can crank them out and... Like I've said before, painting I don't hate, but it's not my favorite part of the hobby. My favorite part is actually playing. So this has been really cool. And doing these fiend bloods, I'm like, wow, I, I really like this. I might have to buy some demonettes because I think this would look really cool on demonettes. So anywho, I think that's enough for now. Let's get on to the next segment. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. And, of course, this is the time where we answer your letters. This is the Tesseract Mailbox, and last week I said that we were empty. The inbox was completely empty, and I'm glad that I got some more responses. Um, Fergaferg wrote in this week, but he's actually asking about the new starter set Battle Forces, and I really don't want to comment on that yet until we actually have a price for them. So that's, that's the reason why I'm holding off on that. So instead, I'm going to answer Walt's email. Walt writes, Hello, Mr. Pimpcron. I keep hearing all of this nonsense about Nazis and hate speech and Warhammer. GW just released a message saying that suddenly it's not okay to hate entire groups of people. <laughs> I'm puzzled. Sure, I could look it up and Google it and not ask you. But then what would I ask you? You said you needed letters. Please explain as accurately or inaccurately as desired. I don't have time for this bullshit. <laughs> Thank you for writing in, Walt. I I appreciate it. Um, so what the the deal lately has been is uh, in the news in a tournament in Spain, I believe it was. They had one player that came to the tournament wearing apparently Nazi paraphernalia. I saw his jacket. And I guess I'm just out of touch or something. I know the jacket design, there was a, des a big design on his jacket. And people are saying it's Nazi. I guess it is. It wasn't like your classic swastika. It was like some sort of real complex symbol. And it, it kind of had swastikas in it. Kind of. Like, I don't know. It. I would have not immediately known what that was. Somebody would have had to tell me about that. I mean, if he's, if he's wearing a regular swastika, then okay, I, I get that what that is. But this was like some different pattern, and I guess it's a, a well-known symbol that is just unbeknownst to me. So, I don't, I don't really keep abreast of, uh, of, of all the comings and goings of the neo-Nazis. So, um, but anyway, apparently they did not kick him out of the tournament, and people are very angry. And they're saying, oh, look, how can you be this way? Blah, blah, blah. And apparently there is, guess what? Two sides to this story. Isn't that interesting? 
the tournament organizers uh, describe their side of their point of view, their side of the story. And uh, it was picked up by Spiky Bits and other websites. Uh, I think it was on Reddit they answered it. But anyway, basically what it was is that this guy shows up and he was acting perfectly normal. Um, he was polite and he was following all the rules. And he's just wearing, a, like, a apparently a Nazi jacket. And the opponents were, like, complaining about it. The other players were like, hey, to the, tw- to the TOs, saying, hey, you can't wear that. You know, that's not right, blah, blah, blah. So even one of his opponents, uh, like conceded or was going, was threatening to concede because he didn't want to play against this guy with a Nazi jacket. The guy wouldn't take off the jacket, the guy, you know, whatever. So they went to the TOs and the TOs pulled the guy aside and said, Hey, please take off the jacket. You know, we don't accept that, blah, blah, blah. And the guy said, Hey, if you make me take off this jacket, you're discriminating against my ideology and I will call the cops. Now. I don't think this would fly in America, because psh, psh, America. That was supposed to be an eagle. But I, I, don't think this would, I don't think this would fly in America. But in Spain, apparently, it is actually against the law to, even though, to me... Okay, hold on. I'll, I'll have my comment in a minute. It is against the law in Spain to discriminate against someone's ideology and, like, kick them out just because you don't agree with it. And... Displaying Nazi paraphernalia is not actually illegal in Spain, apparently. So, um, that is, you know, that that's basically the scenario. So, he threatened to call the cops, and they really did not want to... He was following all the rules, so they can't really kick him out except for the symbol on his jacket. And if they're going to kick him out just for that, then it's purely ideological. Uh, ideological. And he knew this, apparently, because that's what he... Um, he was, you know, being super polite and all that. So they had no other grounds to kick him out. So they basically had to let him continue. And, um, it was a bad situation because if the opponent forfeits, it's an automatic 20 points or whatever they said in the article. Um, so that is why, but they've issued a statement saying they do not agree with it. Blah, blah, blah. Their hands were tied, blah, blah, blah. I really feel for him because it sounds like they did try to do what they could. And that, you know, that wasn't it. So now. Um, I think in America, in America, you basically, if it's a private event, like a tournament, I think you can just kick anybody out that you want, to be honest with you. I mean, if it's my private, it's like, it's like a birthday party, right? Someone, it's like you have a birthday party and this dude's being a total ass. You can't just kick him out. (laughs) That's an ideological viewpoint difference, you know? But, uh, so anyway, I'm telling you right now, I, I would have him call the cops, to be honest. I mean, once again, I don't live in Spain. I don't know how strict they are or whatever. But if we told someone to take off a jacket because they're wearing Nazi stuff at my convention, Shorehammer, and they didn't, then I'd be the one to call the cops and go, hey, cops, uh, please remove him. This is my private event. And he's not following the rules. Um, now, of course, we do have a code of conduct for Shorehammer. And that does, you know, include you know, hate speech. I even hate that word, but you know, hate speech and gang symbols and gang colors and all that stuff. It just kind of blanketly does that. But also in the code of conduct, we reserve the right to just kick you out. Like if if you're being a a dick or you're trying to pick a fight or whatever, we will like kick you out. We can even ban you from ever coming back. So now, admittedly, I have never once in, this will be our sixth year coming up in less than two weeks. I've never once had to ever talk to anybody about anything. So it's, our group is pretty chill, but we do at least reserve the right. And in America, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter. You can kick 
anybody out for whatever reason because it's your private event. And to be honest, I mean, regardless of whatever your ideology is, even if it is Nazism, just shut up about it. Like, like who cares? You're, do you think it's weird to me like anybody would even wear symbols like that to a tournament? Because it's like, are you trying to convert people? Do you think someone is like, oh, man, you know, they secretly wanted to be a Nazi their whole life or something. And now that they saw that symbol, oh, now they're going to join your party. Like, it's just it's stupid. To me, it seems like a really a real troll maneuver where, oh, I'm following all the rules, man. You can't kick me out. I'm just wearing this jacket. What's the big deal? But meanwhile, he's, you know, wearing the jacket of one of the most despised and uh, genocidal groups <laughs> in modern history. So it's kind of, it's a bit much, I think. Um, to be honest, I mean, if you did that with anything, with any political thing, with any religious thing, with any, I mean, honestly, even if you were 100% decked out in a sports outfit, I mean, you got the hat with the logo and the colors, and you got the glasses, and you got the the jersey and then you got the shorts and the even your shoes like have the logo like oh Philadelphia Eagles or something I mean either way you just come off as a douchebag like it just just cut it out dude it's not really the time or place so and I think that goes doubly for you know hate groups like that so that is what all of the hubbub is and coinciding with this GW has also ran into uh, Vice, which is like one of those really skeevy websites that just pump out garbage articles about nonsense. Um, Vice and a couple of the other ones, I forget what they're called, but those have already posted articles in the past about, oh, look, Warhammer has secret, you know, racist ties or misogynistic ties or whatever. And it's just like, you know what, in any group, okay, picture the most pure group you possibly could people that are devoutly religious and dedicate their entire life to religion. And they're just like, they're supposed to be the pinnacle of what humans can be. And they lead other people along the golden path to heaven and righteousness and all that. I'm talking about like preachers and priests. Yeah. None of them have ever broken the law ever or done anything bad ever. Yeah. Like basically every group of people, even the people that you would least expect, still have bad apples like that's just that's every demographic so sure i'm sure somewhere there's a misogynist or somewhere there's a something else in the warhammer community but that's crazy to say that's the majority because pretty much everybody i've ever met in warhammer are just chill people that like to paint models and throw dice like it's not you know of course you get the socially awkward people and they can come off weird to people but you know most people are pretty pretty harmless i'd say so anyway uh, Walt, you wanted to know what was going on, and you didn't feel like Googling it, so I hope this 10-minute segment describing to you exactly what happened, um, I hope that cleared it up for you instead of a 15-second Google search. <laughs> uh, and, oh, also, uh, Games Workshop had to issue a statement saying, Ah, Nazis are bad! Meh, 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 meh. Like, no shit. Yeah, Nazis are bad, we all know that. But I guess that's corporate speak, they have to say it, you know? And I mean, it's not like, it's not a bad thing to, to declare, I suppose, but, you know, it's just, it's it's one of those things where corporations pick, like, the safest lane to drive in as far as politics and viewpoints, but I guess that's another talk. So let's, let's get on to the next segment. Want that or want that not? 
Hey guys, this is the Want That or Want That Not section of the episode, and I am covering apparently a new model kit for uh, Middle-Earth, uh, Legend of the Ten Rings, or whatever it's called. This is the Ruins of Dol Guldur, and I'm probably saying that wrong. It's got a trademark next to it, so I'm sure it's like Dol Guldur, or something like that. I don't speak Elvish, okay? I'm a nerd, but there's different levels of nerd, and I am not that high of a level. Um, level 8 maximum, definitely not 11. The point is, is that this is like a typical ruins that you would find, and it seems like it's pretty large. It's two stories, and it is, they claim that it's fully modular, and it can be pieced together with other um, ruins and things like that from the Lord of the Rings range, so that's kind of cool. Um, it is distinctive in the way that I'm sure this is from the movie, but I don't recall it. It is in the Mirkwood region and it's called Dol Gudur. And it's a ruin that has like lattice style wooden pieces strapped all across it. Like I guess to hold in the stones. I don't know. That's not how masonry works, but whatever. And um, you know what it really looks like? I'm sure it's not, but it looks like purlings. And uh, purlings, when you're doing, like, let's say you want to do siding on the side of a building, uh, you need something, a side of a building that is, like, uh, concrete or something that you can't just nail to, right? Because you need to nail on vinyl siding. Um, what you do is you fasten these um, small strips of, uh, like, fern strips or purlins, and uh, that's what your siding nails to. That's what this looks like. It doesn't make any sense because they're even on the inside of the building, not just the outside. So this really doesn't make any sense, but that's basically what it looks like. And um, I'm sure this is, like, critical to the movie somehow. I don't remember. Like, I've seen Lord of the Rings a long time ago. And, uh, I mean, it's $65, okay? Can you think of the most generic terrain feature that every single table in the entire world has. Ruins. Okay. Are these ruins totally fine? Yes, these ruins are totally fine. Are they modular? Uh, supposedly. I don't know how, but they're supposedly modular. Um, are these ruins fairly big? Yeah, these ruins are pretty big. Do they fit together with other kits? Yes. Should you buy this? Eh... I mean, it's $65 for this. And to be honest with you, I feel like you could basically go anywhere online and get someone to 3D print you this exact ruin for 40 bucks. Like, it's there's nothing special about it. The only thing that sets it apart from literally any other ruin anywhere ever is that they've got this wooden lattice stuff on the side of it. It's like... La -di -da. I don't. I don't hate this by any means. I just find it to be very meh. Like, there's no real reason for them to even be selling this. I don't I don't see... And at $65, it's just like, man, it is a large set. Okay, modular, whatever. But it just... It's not doing it for me. And I don't hate it. I just kind of nothing it. Um, so it's $65, and that would be a want that not for me. Despite it looking perfectly suitable for being ruins, you can just get it cheaper literally anywhere else and this is the gw price for a kit that is the most common terrain kit ever created in the history of mankind so that is a want that not for me but like a lukewarm want that not because i don't think it's terrible it's just not special in any way 
Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. So for the Real Talk tonight, I have a very embarrassing confession to make. And uh, you probably already know it from the title. Uh, so I guess I'll just, I'll just, I'll just throw it out there and I'll get it over with. Just rip that band-aid right off. I tried army painter paints. Now, I know a lot of you probably already use army painter paints, and this is going to be nothing new to you. But I happen to be looking for, uh, well, I happen to be looking for colored metallic paints, and GW doesn't really sell those. Now, I know that Screaming Bell is like such a red bronze that it's basically metallic red. I get that. I use that a lot. It's one of my favorite colors. But they don't have a metallic blue or green or purple, anything like that. Now, I know you can use contrast over silver, blah, blah, blah. That's too many steps. Shut up, okay? The point is, is I found out that Army Painter makes a whole set of metallic colored paints. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. I've always kind of intended to try Army Painter paints. But I just guess kind of never got around to it. Like, our local store doesn't um, stock army painter paints except for like a couple starter kits sort of things they don't actually have like the loose paints sitting around so it was never super like convenient to try it um but our local store actually did have the colored metallic set for army painter and i'm thinking to myself you know what i'm gonna try this i was always afraid that uh the army painter paints would be too thin or whatever but it was like 25 dollars for a set of 10 army painter paints. So that's 250 a paint. Now, right there, if you've bought GW Citadel paints, you know they're like what 425, something like that per pot. Like they're they're significantly expensive. The contrasts are what like 6-7 bucks a piece and um the washes are the same thing. I mean, you're talking 6 or 7 dollars is considerable for a pot of paint. And here, Army Painter over here has them for $250. Now, I am not hating on GW Paint. I have always used GW Paint, and I love it, and I like their color selections and all that. But it uh, it was not fulfilling my needs as far as needing a colored metallic paint. So I try these paints, and um, I've used like craft paints before in the in the past, like Apple paints, and it's garbage. Don't use it. The pigment uh, density is so thin that you got to use like three or four coats to get any solid color. Um, it's it's just not worth it. Um, so that's why I've always used GW. After when I first started, I used Apple paints and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, paint is paint, teehee!" And I went to Michaels and I bought like you know picture painting paints, and um, it just was garbage. You could see all the like brush strokes, and it was just they're either way too thick. If they're heavy medium, I think it's called, or they're way too thin. So um, GW has a nice middle ground. So like I said, I'm not hating on GW at all, but I was extremely pleasantly surprised with Army Painter Paints. And once again, if you guys already know about them, you know, this is no news to you, but the metal paints were thick enough that they're only one coat. I don't need to do two coats or anything like that. And they come in the pink and the red and the purple and green and, and all those. So they've got a bunch of different colors. I don't have to do like a silver under contrast or anything like that. It's just one coat, which is what I like. And the price is pretty much half. Like, that is nuts. You, 
you kind of forget when you're like kind of entrenched in the whole Games Workshop thing just how expensive everything is in Games Workshop. If you look over at Mantic, like a lot of Mantic games, a lot of their models now, a lot of them are not quite to the level of detail as GW. So the quality is just not quite there. It's about 80 or 90% of what GW is, probably 80%. Um, but they're half the price. Like it's it's significant the the price difference, um, and Army Painter is the same way. Then uh, on top of that, the Army Painter things are in dropper bottles. So I was thrilled that wow, all I do is like put out two drops and I can paint a whole model with this, and it's not going to dry up. It's perfectly fine. It's not a mess. It's it's just fantastic. I mean, I'm I am really truly a convert at this point, um, but also. Um, not only are they about half the price at two fifty instead of four something, but also they're bigger than regular GW paints. Regular GW paints are 0.4 of an ounce, I think they are, and these Army Painter paints I think are 0.6 of an ounce. That's 150 percent more paint. Like it, that, that may not sound like a whole lot, but if if you're charging me half the cost and it's 50 percent more. That is a huge savings, and I have not yet found anything wrong with these paints whatsoever. I can't actually believe it's taken me this long to use these paints. After, what, uh, 11 years of being in this hobby, something like that? Like, it, it's actually kind of shocking to me, but they are really, really nice. And I saw that um, some websites like Spiky Bits were uh, previewing, basically, Army Paint is coming out with their own contrast paint line um it's like a i think it's called speed paint or something like that and um the he painted a deadpool on spiky bits uh deadpool model and it looked fantastic and he said it was just with the quick paints or whatever they're called so they don't come out to like the beginning of 2022 though so obviously i don't have them yet but i'm thinking you know what i think i'm definitely gonna get them to be honest with you now i have a bunch of the gw contrast already so i don't know if it'd be worth buying that whole set and I'm not going to go out and just throw away all my GW paints and switch to Army Painter because, like I said, my local store stocks GW. It doesn't stock Army Painter. But I no longer have that fear or, you know, reservations against trying Army Painter. And I don't think you should either because the savings in the value of it is definitely there. And the paint quality is fantastic. So now my only issue I've ran into with this new set of colors, because I was using the teal for my Heat and Knights of Slanesh army that I'm starting. I was using the teal for the armor. Now I've got all these other metal paints and I really want to use them on something. I don't know what, but something. So now I'm going to have to find out how can I use, you know, metallic purple or metallic whatever um, because most of my armies are already painted, so it's like I'm going to have to start something new or just uh, confine it to brutality models or something like that. But anyway, uh, really, there is nothing to say wrong about these paints. Fantastic value, fantastic price and quantity, and they're in dropper bot bottles, and the consistency is fantastic. So no, this is not at all some sort of, you know, ad for Army Painter, and no, they did not contact me ever. I'm not getting any money for this, nothing. I just wanted to share with you, if you were hesitant at all, or if you're just starting out, you know what? I mean, you got in this expensive hobby, you got to cut corners any way you can as far as money goes. And uh, just like buying the cheap, you know, Home Depot, Home Depot, 
Home Depot or like Ace Hardware spray paint for primer. Now, now you want to make sure you actually buy primer, but as far as you know, those go, they're like two fifty a can versus GW's what twelve dollars a can or something for primer. It's ridiculous. So um, I feel like if you're going to cut corners anywhere, you know, try to support GW, buy the models, do whatever. But maybe if you've got the room for it or you don't have a big paint collection already, those Army Painter paint sets are a pretty nice deal. So I guess it's I guess I'm done shilling for them this week. Um, It really was not. They did not contact me. So this is just free advertising. But I just wanted to pass it on to you, my devoted followers and listeners and uh, just let you know, it's, it's pretty good. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show and sponsoring us, and uh, go check them out with Event10 as the code to get 10% off your order. And thank you, truly, to all of my Patreon patrons. I greatly appreciate it. You keep the lights on over here at uh, the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast, and I love you all. I'll see you next week. <laughs>